Let's get started. Ay, 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 ay. I started with ay, ay, ay today without sounding like, you know, I, I made a mistake. So I kind of said like ay, 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 ay to match uh, Lucky's energy. He is, he's oh. feeling the allergy of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'll, I'm, I'll try to bring energy. So today... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, today. <laughs> it, it'll get better. It'll get better. But today on 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 our podcast today we have Melinda. Is it Chu? Mm-hmm. Melinda. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for being on our podcast today and and uh, providing with my low energy that I'm providing today. But hopefully, you can give us insight on you know what you do in the industry and the new insight on AI and and give us something new to learn. Hopefully, obviously, you know, there's always something new to learn. But give us a little bit more background on you know what you do. Sure. Um, these days, I do a lot of different things. Um, uh, as I told you guys right before, I went to Princeton and I majored in history. And then I actually I went into medicine. I trained in dermatology and did a lot of clinical research and clinical trials. And that got me interested in the startup ecosystem. So I had some um, health tech startups. And now I'm also working on the venture and investor side as well. So uh, I guess I'm doing a few different things. Um I just I just started my own startup like 48 hours ago, um, which wow. <laughs> so that's called Ariva Health. Um, so we're developing a health IoT platform with a novel drug delivery device, which will um, use sensors um, to dispense drug use uh, if patients are having a sphere event based off of um, algorithms um, that are picking up abnormal vital signs um, that, or you can dispense it yourself. So um, AI has evolved to that. And then for my other um, roles, I'm a venture scout and partner for some firms out of Silicon Valley. And so I've just in that realm been meeting a lot of AI companies, um, companies that are devoted to AI or, I mean, now that have incorporated as part of their business across different industries, not just in healthcare. Well, um, I don't know if you planned this, uh, but you're on the right podcast for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, our top three priorities since we started this, since the inception of this podcast has formalized itself to... um, we're veteran friendly. We're veteran focused. We want to have transitional military veterans get into the AI machine learning space. Mm-hmm. We've been having lots of hosts and uh, lots of guests coming in uh, discussing the fact that, you know, um, how do you as a military veteran bring, you know, your subject matter expertise or your skill sets to the AI machine learning world? How does that translate into the AI machine learning world? And uh, uh, the second best one is the the startups. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, Startup community, how do they either adopt an AI for their better business model, better business process or workflow, or how do you as a startup inspiring to start a startup, you know, go after an AI technology that is much needed to be addressed? And, and a small startup can address that versus a big startup like Google and uh, Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. I still call it a startup because everybody started somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you're a small startup or a big startup? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we're small, like three people. Um, so I guess to your first point, yeah, I wasn't um 
in the military myself, but a bunch of my friends were. But I mean, uh, obvious, which you probably know is like just defense industry, you know, like geospatial, um, drone technology, that kind of which people in the um, military have experienced. And that obviously has AI um, implications. But then also just in general, I think um, the like um, discipline and leadership skills in the military. So, I mean, you can learn anything and those transfer also to AI um, uh, technology and companies as well. So I don't think you have to limit it just because someone was in, same with me. Like I was a history major that I went into medicine just because you were in the military. doesn't mean you have to work in the defense industry for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's, it's just like me. I, I I talk about history, even though I'm a conflict resolution major. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like you don't have to have like a specific set of knowledge. You just have to bring what you know to the table and make it work and how you make it work in AI um, it needs all sorts of contribution, right? Mm-hmm. It, it not just rely on data sets that you can find all over the world, but how do you identify using human, the people, subject matter expertise for those data yeah. sets and combine few data sets together to make it work? It, I know I, I always simplify things, but it's not as simple. So when it comes to, you know, contribution, who contributes matters and who contributes makes things simpler or more complex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when it comes to military veterans, I think you know, we have this purpose, right? The, the mission-driven focus where it says the end user at the end of this first mile and last mile of the AI development, the last mile has an end user who is probably going to risk his life um, to, to either do his job or defend somebody, right? So we always think of it that way. And I think veteran community is highly trained to understand that all humans – involved in this process will have to be considered uh, for the mm-hmm. safety, their privacy, and their security. And, and if not, you know, just their well-being in general, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I think military veteran communities does bring subject matter expertise that, you know, uh, you can find it out there in a while, but we are very trained and we have mm-hmm. um, uh, soft skills and hard skills in time to time to bring to the AI conversation. And uh, I know, and from this... Uh... You guys might be aware of it. Well, there are a lot of just um, through the government, like grants for veterans. But in um, the one accelerator that I was in, Founder Institute, the um, I don't know what his title is, like the director of definitely the Silicon Valley uh, Founder Institute, Ryan Micheletti. He's a veteran. And there are a lot of programs through Founder Institute specifically for veterans. Absolutely. And and one of the things that I'm about to do right now for a startup, right, um, is read about a startup that we love here in III AI podcast, right? <laughs> because uh, we we love the CEO. She's a veteran and she has this great idea of having talent hiring process without resume. Mm-hmm. The managers will just put in a talent request and the talent will be matched with the manager just using artificial intelligence without any sort of resume. So give it a second and I will go ahead and read that off. All right. And like I said, I love Talent Ascend. So uh, uh, today we're excited to introduce you to a revolutionary platform that is changing the game in the recruitment industry. Talent Ascend is utilizing the power of artificial intelligence to improve the recruitment process. AI has a potential to revolutionize recruitment by automating repetitive tests, improving candidate matching, and reducing bias. By leveraging machine learning algorithms, Talent Ascend can analyze large amount of data 
to identify the best candidate for the job based on the candidate's skills, experience, and qualifications. This eliminates the use of the resume, cover letter, and application. Another benefit of AI in recruitment is reducing bias. Talent ascends, excuse me, talent ascends can eliminate bias by removing identifying information such as name, gender, and age-defining aspects that are typically found on an applications. This can help ensure that candidates are evaluated solely on their qualifications and experience, leading to a more diverse and inclusive workforce, which I love. Talents Ascense is an excellent example of how AI can be used to improve the recruitment process by leveraging cutting-edge technology and commitment to diversity and inclusion. They're making it easier for job seekers and hiring managers to find the right fit. How does that sound? It's amazing. You know, that, that's the kind of stuff that, that veterans, um, people that are in or coming out of the military or, or a service branch um, can really benefit from. So thank you uh, for that. Yeah. We, this is not a paid advertisement at all. This is oh. just, <laughs> no, right. oh, okay. just yeah. literally to say we love telling us then, right? Yeah. Um, the CEO came to our podcast and, you know, she broke it down for us and she did excellent job in putting this together for, you know, people that just, not just in the veterans community, anybody, anybody mm-hmm. who has a resume, anybody who does not want to be identified for their background rather than just experience, yeah. um, I, we say go for it, you know. Um, so, yeah, tell us more about your startup experience. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know there's AI, like, look. One of the fun things I always say is that like some startups will just put AI at the end, <laughs> make it sound like they have AI, um, so, but know, they go through the process and they realize it's not as simple as just saying I have an idea and put an AI behind it, right? Um, so tell us a little bit more about you know your startup experience. What, what are you thinking? Where the startup is now and where is it heading towards? Oh well, we're still really early, still really excited. I mean, uh, as I mean. AI is really big, but yeah, like you mentioned, um, I'm conscious not to like hype it that we're an AI startup. Like we're taking things stepwise. I mean, the platform we're building will be able to help um, make a system like incorporating like biometrics um, to get uh, to figure out the situations when to dispense the medication. So initially, um, but then taking the time to validate the algorithms, because as you probably know, actually, um, there's only a few like wearables that have like clinical grade al- algorithms that have been approved, like for patient care. A lot of the stuff we use, um, like Apple Watch, Fitbit, or, or they're all like consumer grade, which I mean is really good, but it's not, um, used to, uh, you know, just uh, in the hospital or anything like that in um, hasn't been uh, approved through the FDA through that process, though there mm-hmm. are a lot of studies in that sense. So uh, I think there's still a lot of room um, for improvement. It is healthcare and is a interesting um, area of AI because of what we were kind of chatting about before we started a recording is that um, well, you need large data sets, but then with healthcare specifically, you also have the privacy concerns of, so it can make it challenging to have, um, large data sets to train the models on. Um, so 
but at the same time, I, I mean, there's a challenge there between, of course, especially um, here in the U.S., you know, people have their autonomy, you want privacy, but if the consent isn't given for the data sets, then they may be skewed also, which is like you were just talking about um, bias in the algorithm. If the patient data is only on certain demographics, it may not be uh, accurate or generalizable to every patient. So it's, I mean, the um, training data for every models is interesting, but in particular with healthcare, I think with the privacy issues plus um, you know, whether it's accurate enough um, and generalizable is interesting. You know, like take like an LLM, like text and then generating text is um, obviously really interesting. But like using the data to make a um, life altering decision, there's a lot of different implications. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, and, and then um, like like this, the obstacles that we are facing right now with data sets, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where does this data set come from? Uh, mm -hmm. What sort of HIPAA violation is there involved with based on PII, right? Um, so if you have these type of data sets that you have to question, where is it coming from? Um, one way to you know go around that is by having synthetic data. Yeah. Uh, that synthetic mm -hmm. data will be able to address some of those concerns to say like, you know, I have developed a synthetic data that will look as real as the real data, but without using people's actual information. Mm -hmm. Some like auto-generated, uh, inserted into rows and columns the way, you know, um, that will be protective of, say, hospitals' integrity, right? Yeah. Because if Mount Sinai was to give out their data of the patients that they've been tracking for the last 30-some years. Well, that kind of is a privacy violation because mm -hmm. Mount Sinai had those data signatures from 30 years ago to say, can we use your data now to train another set of data, right? Um, how far do you go back in time to have everybody sign their consent, right? So people are opting in or people are opting out. That's a huge complexity. And to avoid mm -hmm. that, not to just literally avoid that for sake of avoiding it, but to um, find a path around it without violating people's privacy is to have synthetic data. And you know, the synthetic data uh, is, is, a, is a market that a lot of uh, organizations are working towards right now. But once it becomes successful enough, I think the chat GPT level experience that we're having for the last six months where, you know, all sorts of crazy inventions are coming out to the market, you know, all sorts of startups and all sorts of new innovations, uh, engagement with AI machine learning. I think synthetic data is the next level that we will have to go through once this uh, large language model scales itself up to a point. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Click a button. I can create a synthetic data for you, no problem. And I can create millions and rows and millions of rows of records, as much records as you need, to you know help you train your data. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I've seen a little bit about yeah creating synthetic data or like digital twins. I mean, from a um, like clinical trial or biologic standpoint, it's challenging because um, you know trying to predict how a whole, you know, person's uh, physiologic system is going to react and like make that an accurate um, result or, you know, so it's pretty interesting. Yeah. G gene therapy went through that steps of having um, uh, mixed reaction, right? So when, when gene therapy came around, everybody was super excited. Um, but ultimately it fell through the steps of, you know, having lots of uh, human life loss, right? Um 
we, we thought we were there, but we weren't there. I think this is where AI, machine learning, and healthcare is is at the cusp of um, really becoming one uh, is by research and development, right? So uh, we talked about synthetic data, and uh, you're having a platform to deliver medicine. Um, these are all coming through research and development, right? Mm-hmm. Process that what we used to take months and years to do research and development because of tremendous amount of data sets that we already have. Now we are able to process that data much faster and able to process that data much faster for multiple variation, right? So the variables are being addressed uh, used, using multiple sets of data for, say, multiple sets of ethnicity, right? Um, not everybody has the same diet and not everybody has the same type of uh, uh, reaction to a medicine. So mm-hmm. you know, the ability to do research and development faster and quicker using um, cloud access to the cloud, right? And access to those data sets within the cloud, right? Um, I think one of the jokes that I make is that, you know, uh, when you have cloud system and you have AI uh, capability built into the cloud, it's like living in a gated community, right? You're mm-hmm. able to go knock on the neighbor's doors and say like, look, I have the data, you have the AI machine learning. What if uh, we are able to, you know, make something happen, right? So I think anybody who's in the cloud system already and paid for the cloud access uh, and doing business and transactions and IT infrastructure all inside of the cloud, it, it just makes sense that AI machine learning is your next step, right? Uh, how do you go about it? It's a different topic, but at least you can start knocking on the neighbor's door to say like, Tell me a little bit about AI machine learning. Now that we're inside this gated community where it's very secure, uh, mining yeah. we're going to pass on to the outside of this gated cloud environment. Um, tell me more and tell me how it is that you can help me, right? Uh, so AWS Cloud, uh, Microsoft Cloud, Google Cloud, this is top three. There's so many other cloud vendors out there that are offering AI machine learning capabilities and they're mm-hmm. all in the cloud. So it just makes sense that as a healthcare industry, you move to the cloud, and once you move to the cloud, you're just one switch away of engaging with AI machine learning. You know, you know the thing is like um, the, the you know from the venture capitalist perspective, right? The, all the investment. Um, what what do you think as far as like all the engagements you're having in Silicon Valley or outside of it? Um, what do you think is lesson learned here so far? Right. Are you seeing any lesson learned that says like, yes, we have developed a technology, but now we are realizing how much more improvement that development could have if it was built on AI machine learning, right? Because that's what we're seeing a lot of is that um, a lot of the technologies are being developed, but not being thought of as possible candidates for AI machine learning mm-hmm. or possible adaptation of AI machine learning down the road, right? Um, so. Yeah. Well, I guess what I've seen, well, a couple trends that I've seen is, um, yeah, using, making it really easy for people to uh, analyze their data. So, like, just like, you know, they have spreadsheets and whole databases, and then they could just, like, ask a question, um, uh, like, what was my Q1 2022 uh, revenue and like, how does that compare year over year? And then it, um, they can just pick it up. So there's like a few companies like that, um, that um, like specific use cases for um, financial data. Also something that I was talking to a startup yesterday, which was interesting. I mean, 
going along with the trends, you know, if um, you probably talked about this, like uh, the role of AI and education or in writing, like how it will impact, like if, if you, your teacher assigns an essay, in theory, you could just like write, put the essay question into uh, chat GPT and then get something like um, 30 seconds later. So, but the company I talked to yesterday, so I do think, um, well, obviously chat GPT and um, Bard and all those are here. So I do think it's uh, in education have to learn how to use them like student, but at the same time, there's value in uh, assessments or testing where there it's not, um, you're not uh, using uh, ChatGPT as a crutch. So anyway, this company, so I think there will be value in determining how much of a um, output or answer is human generated versus AI generated. So this company Cursive, they have, uh, each person has their own like typing personal signature, like the cadence <laughs> and yeah, and uh, how hard you type and how fast you type. And they can determine um, just after you typing a, couple test paragraphs like for the future if your uh, response was um, you know all AI generated or how much you uh, was through uh, human you know ingenuity so I thought that was interesting because like the cheating um, and um, you know shortcuts um, has been coming up a lot in the AI discussion I mean the quality is what matters but of course um, if you are comparing people, then um, I think there's value not only in knowing how to use AI tools effectively, but also in critical thinking or analysis skills on your own. Yeah, I, I think if I was to frame it, right, I think there's so many ways to frame this challenge that we have. First mm -hmm. challenge is that there's a generational differences, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I mean it like, uh, let's put a joke behind it, right? Like, I think I saw a picture that somebody said, like, you know, uh, people were in the bus, right? Everybody in the bus had a newspaper in front of them. So nobody was really talking to each other. <laughs> so, like, you know, uh, nowadays you see people on the cell phone, nobody's talking to each other, right? Yeah. So it's like, what's the difference, right? The difference is that we are always reading. We're always informing ourselves. Not every generation that makes fun of the next generation will say, yeah, you know, uh, I'm far more informed. Yes, you are because you read newspaper, right? The one that came out at 11 o'clock in the afternoon or you found it at 5 o'clock in the morning. Whenever you found it, that's how you got informed. But now we're living in a real-time information, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's the matter of attention span and how much our attention can hold information-wise and put them put those information together with other sort of information, right? And that's what we do as human brains. We find patterns and we're looking for patterns. And by having those patterns utilized over and over, our future patterns become predictive, right? So the reason I started with the newspaper on a bus and everybody's reading newspaper, nobody's communicating to each other, everybody's silent and just reading their newspaper, we thought it was going to be the end of our humanity, right? Well, we, then we found out about this thing called iPad or uh, iPhone that everybody has in their hand. Now, but nobody's communicating. But we're actually are communicating far more than what we did with the newspaper. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. in the silos of newspaper, um, we have actually a communication happening in real time, right? Mm -hmm. But via text, not mm -hmm. using verbal communication, right? So 
the next generation that will come up now my wonder is like you know how we're going to make fun of them because we did phones and we are going to say like no we had real time communication using text but the next generation is going to live through this you know informations that you've been sharing i already know it mm-hmm. so what's the point of even texting it right yeah we're just you know completely out of need for half of the innovations that you needed because we probably will either innovate that or Somebody else will, right, down the road. Well, the- it seems like things also, in a way, come in cycles because, like you mentioned, uh, well, like newspapers, you're learning through reading, and we learn through reading through reading on our phones. But similar, like radio shows, but then now you have a podcast. So it, like, come in cycle, even though it's, like, it's a podcast <laughs> is, like, a, a old-time radio show with new technology. And and that leads me into education and writing essays and paragraphs mm-hmm. and essays through Chat GPT. I think Chat GPT is not the reason people will cheat. Chat GPT is the reason people will no longer write. Mm-hmm. Right? It's because in our human brain, if if we can give our brain a rest from doing something that brain just finds it tedious, it will take the break. And as soon as you find a solution for that, it will take a break. I mean, uh, it was tedious to get your message across hundreds of thousands of years ago, right? Not 100,000, but let's say 10,000 years ago. You had to ride a horse and carry an actual memorized message to give to somebody or handwritten message somewhere else, right? So I think the evolutions that we're going through, we will allow system to read and write for us, which at this point is very uncomfortable. But like I said, we always haven't read and read Mm-hmm. information we recently started educating everybody so they can go out and read books <laughs> you know there's a reason why books are popular in 1900s versus you know years before that right but book publishing became popular not because book publishing was necessary because people started reading books people because people were actually educated prior to that most majority of the people on the earth weren't educated in reading and writing so what's going to happen to the reading and writing? I think it will be digitalized in a way that we will no longer need to read and write. What will happen is that we will verbally communicate what it is that we need through a system that we'll communicate with verbally. A system will communicate back to us with that reading and writing, right? What information do you need? Do you want to watch a podcast about it or do you want me to make a video about it right now, right here, right? Mm-hmm. So you're teaching a student about a topic you don't have to necessarily have a teacher or a textbook that is approved by, say, certain state, right? Um, you, you're pretty much able to read and write about a topic just by watching a podcast, just by watching a YouTube video, or having an AI create a video based on your specific need. As mm-hmm. in the prompt that you put in, it generates a video to say, you know, a thief is a good learner if he's able to interact with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, what would an AI do at that point? Well, AI will actually start interacting with me to, you know, have the interactive playfulness, right? So, like, let's gamify this. You know, I'll yeah. learn, you learn. But if, a CIF said, no, I just like listening. I don't want to interact with anybody. That's not how I learn. A system should be able to say, you know, I'm just going to read stuff to you, just the way the voices that you like to hear and how you like to hear. So I think that's super uncomfortable for a lot of the people that will say, well, that's not how humanity works. Well, the way humanity used to work Humanity does not work that way anymore, right? Pony Express doesn't exist for a reason. Mm-hmm. Pony Express is how we used to deliver messages, right? Now yeah. we have publishing. We have printed papers. Now we have digital Amazon. Um, we have so many technologies that will replace Amazon one day, 
right? We just don't know what will happen to publishing. So uh, I have I have no doubt about technology's capability to adapt to the human needs. Just like I don't have any doubt about human needs adapting to the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll stop right there. Maybe. I'll, oh maybe. yeah. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's that makes sense. Um, yeah, I've met some ed tech company outside of the one that I just that are working on, um, kind of what you were talking about developing personalized content for students. Um, either if they're more ahead, then um, making the lesson like more advanced, or if they're like behind, like customizing it to um, the points that they haven't learned. Um, and using generative AI to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, your uh, the capabilities that the AI is bringing to the table. I think one of our guests mentioned that we just don't know what sort of capabilities AIs will bring, right? And I think there's lots of fear behind it and lots of pausing and halting at this point, right? Um, have you seen that? You know, the thousand people wrote a letter to, uh, to halt the AI labs mm-hmm. researches, right? Um, I think there's lots of pauses that will happen, but at the same time, there's no stopping it. Like, what's your mm-hmm. thought on, you know, the negative effect of AI? Um, you know, how do we how do we address that? Like, what's your take on those? Um, so I think it's fair um, to have concerns. I guess I'm more op- optimistic than some people, but at the same time, um, as the technology develops, I think um it's important to protect like human rights and like human likenesses like um like just because i can make a deep fake of you and like you know launch like another podcast that is exactly like you um and trying to make money off your like this doesn't mean um that it should happen like i don't think the um so yeah, I'm particularly like for protecting people's likeness, you know, like, cause there, you probably heard about like the Drake and weekend, um, song and it got like 4 million or 7 million, um, uh, streams, um, before it was taken down. Like those are like big artists. And so I think they, um, you know, they can, uh, litigate all that, but it actually is not about the big artists. It's about the small ones you know, right. that are up or, you know, like nobody type people. If someone like takes their sound and then makes money off of it, that's where I think. Um, so, but I think, you know, every individual, um, like should protect human rights, um, not at the expense of the technology at the same time. So, um, like I think, all the advances um, are good, but then it has to like work with society. And so I don't think it should like overrun society. If that yeah, that's, that's a, that's a very valid point because um, we get excited about how AI can make things much easier, take less time, uh, provide better services. Um, but the human behind it, it still has a story to tell, and that story will what is what will shape the experiences for us down the road. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the experiences that uh, I always uh, gravitate towards is, you know, when you started putting gas in the car and the car was making us, you know, history, right? As in everybody was excited about having gas and gas in the car and the car taking us places, right? It was very exciting. So now with AI, we shouldn't be forgetting some of those factors that, mm-hmm. yes, this is exciting now, but what happens when the society becomes so 
integrated with cars, and now your cities cannot even breathe without having parking lots everywhere near it, right? Yeah. You have to have, there's, there's less people in the city and more space for the cars to park. Mm-hmm. For every two, three people, there's a giant car that can have eight or nine people inside of it, right? That's how many people can stand inside of a car if the car didn't have any seats on it, right? right? So, so I think you go through the history, and I appreciate your history major here, um, <laughs> <laughs> is that we've seen that throughout the history. And throughout the history, we are able to see that uh, you have innovation, exciting, and then slowly over time, that innovation becomes problematic. As in, now we kind of want to take that octopus's arms off of us and say, like, all right, you know, let me go, please. I, I no longer want to be, you know, shackled by that innovation. Um, so, I, I mean, look, cars, I, I'm just using that as an example. Mm-hmm. Cars are great. But you can imagine what will happen with AI once you started disrupting enough people's lives that people will tend to, you know, have – a reaction to it and whatever that reaction is is something that we have to have a conversation about and have deep understanding of how the system was built and how do we reverse engineer it back to how it should have been right um there's no putting the gas back in the ground the fossil fuel back in the ground <laughs> but there's ways to capture carbons off the carbons that are being thrown into the space but it's a massive taken in by saying you know for every gas we burn um every a gallon of gas we burn, you know, we are able to put so much back into this, uh, back into the uh, ground again, or reutilize it, recycle it, right? Um, so for AI machine learning, I think th- not just human factor. You know, there's like supply chain disruption that could happen mm-hmm. because you need to build semiconductor chips to have this AI perform to a level that it's instantaneous, right? So we go through a hardware configuration. Now we have to go through a semiconductor chips configuration. That is to say, how can we fit this? small semiconductor chips instead of a small enough device and that small enough device can do magic like machine learning, right? Locally, without having internet access to it, right? So these are the kind of um, topics that are coming up, but at the same time, you can see the negative side of it, right? Just like the positive side of it. It's very easy to get excited that to say like, if the hardware shrinks, that means we'll have to create less hardware and Mm -hmm. less supply chain behind those hardware. I like that part, right? Yeah. At the same time, to get to that part where you are able to build a small enough hardware and use less of a, um, a rare earth elements or rare earth uh, uh, products or you know uh, uh, products that requires digging and mining for things uh, underground, and especially in you know countries that have poverty, right? They go more into the poverty to provide these logistics to the manufacturers. So I, I think you know. If you if you start thinking about it from a different perspective, you come to an AI from different different perspective, different different mm-hmm. And the way AI is today, um, I, I think there's gonna be a choke point for AI. Uh, it has happened um, multiple times since AI has been talked about since 50s and 60s. Um, AI went through the AI winter and AI summer. I think the next choke point for AI will still be hardware, just like it has been for many yeah. many years. Uh, it will come down to the semiconductor chips and how fast those chips are able to process the information, which is why this whole race is happening right now. The White House and China, um, all these countries are racing towards semiconductor chips to say we cannot have semiconductor chips with a blockage of AI development, right? AI innovations. Um, but at the same time, it comes with a cost. <laughs> Let's be aware of that. Uh, I can list a few things, but I cannot list all of them, right? Um, 
yeah, I'll stop right there. And uh, you know, yeah, you no, that's a <laughs> interesting point. Like two, th- a couple of things um, about the advancements of AI in society. Like some people, have, yeah, that have said that the hardware like element which you're talking about is actually one thing that will like slow down impending doom that some people say because it's like there isn't enough hardware to like um for these model you know to keep advancing like enough compute out there so they see that as like a good thing that society will be able to um you know have discussions or figure out AI's role um, while since there's this uh, technology like um, hold up. Um, the other thing is, I think um, it actual impact in society, you know, like you've seen all the studies in the last couple of weeks or months that say like 80% of jobs are going to be wiped out like in the next five years. Like, I don't, I don't really see that happening. I mean, at that speed, I mean, like, I mean, the LLMs and everything are like great advances, but it's already, it's been a year since like, um, Dolly and Midjourney and all of them came out. And like, I mean, some individual artists are having less work, but it's not like the whole field has like gone, like decimated. So that's why I like, um, question, um, some of these, I guess, uh, studies and like kind of sort of extreme doomer um, right, right, per- perspectives because if you look at what have happened the advances that have happened in the last six to 12 months have been a lot but at the same time like society has not crumbled so i don't think that society is going to crumble in the next three to five years yeah um, i mean so and if any like and they say you know a, a lot of them actually right are like more like higher like white co- professional type jobs um like you know accounting or finance financial analysis those type of things um and yeah lawyers marketers but at the same time a lot of those fields are um highly regulated i mean even before ai was part of it so and like need um licenses and all that kind of stuff so there's like a lot greater there would need to be a lot greater um government decision on how much uh ai can play in society versus you know human businesses like outside of what would be uh good for like corporate for like um efficiencies and stuff but like there it's not um uh it's not like conceivable that the even if it could theoretically take someone's role just the way licensing and laws are set up and law you know tort laws like it's not conceivable that they could be replaced even though the technology is not there yet um so i think sometimes people forget about that that the algorithms and technology like um that are running like on a computer are like not within the realities of society (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? Like, just because a program can do it doesn't mean it automatically equates to taking someone's job. Well, I think you you brought that very unique perspective, which we have never discussed in this podcast, right? I think it, it had to be said in every discussion because we never did incorporate that. Is that when you don't have licensing, how does it? Yeah. Right. 
And just because AI can pass the test doesn't mean somebody will grant the license for them uh, for the yeah. AI to do the job. So it's AI is always augmentative, uh, augmenting or assisting, right? It's never yeah. to replace anybody. Even if it does replace, how does it replace will be you know uh, yet to be seen because. As much as we can speculate the doomsday theory, which is fun, I, I love doomsday <laughs> theory because, like, you have to entertain and then reverse engineering back to say, like, how do we not get to that point, right? It's always good to have the doomsday theories. That's fine. I think that's not a big. Uh, that's part of our imaginations anyway, right? Yeah. But not to have the licensing to do the legal work, not to be a paralegal that is not licensed, not to be a licensed that is not a registered nurse, right? Um, so. You know, in, in healthcare, you know, we will talk about the fact that, you know, um, what if an AI was uh, recording using a camera behind the doctor and watching the patients, right? So before the doctor walks in, the patient's ability to walk into the room, sit down and watch the patient breathe, um, go through all the vitals that the patients are going through. So just like a nurse would, you know, board a patient into a room, you're watching the camera and from that camera, you know, system is able to do many things to help the nurse out. Say, so like, you know, when the patient walked in, patient had little limps on the side of the uh, hip, which nurse probably didn't detect right away. But the AI can, right? A camera, camera view can detect a pattern of somebody's ability to walk. And as they sit down and how are they breathing? Are they crouched? You know, what sort of uh, symptoms are they showing that will take hours and hours to you know have a human eye to observe but a system is able to do that very fast in an augmentative way right without intrusion of privacy of course um so you know as the as they're listening to the doctor speak to the patient their voice ai is able to detect uh, uh you know issues of the voice uh and from the voice diagnosis you know they're able to say like you know doctor maybe you should have this person checked into this sort of uh, um, uh, medical problems. And, you know, Alzheimer's dementia is just mm -hmm. a few, right? Uh, but, but a doctor can say, like, you know, if I had a 10 minutes of a visit with a patient, which I'm allotted to at this current situation with medical care, um, what if that 10-minute visit turned into a, a 100 minutes worth of visit, right? As in I'm able to diagnose a person uh, in the first visit rather than the 10th visit, right? Because of AI is able to acceleratingly mm -hmm. identify the problems. Because in 10 mm -hmm. minutes, you cannot cover everything from mm -hmm. a human interaction. But an AI can definitely say like, look, I see something on the first visit, on the second visit, when they come through, let's, let's look into it a little bit more, right? Give the doctor a note, which I find it fascinating because, you know, as you're able to um, incorporate so many devices and so many AI topics that are happening within healthcare, I think once we get to the point where we're optimizing it, we will actually be able to go around this hardware issue rather than say like, the reason we don't have a hardware is because we have 10 different hardware doing 10 different jobs, 10 different AIs doing 10 different things. <laughs> right? Now, over time, we're able to optimize that to help us make better decisions. But before better decisions, it's reducing the amount of hardware reducing the amount of uh, complexity we have to go through in order to, uh, you know, have a dialogue with a patient, right? Like a voice-to-text type of AI. A patient could talk to an AI and just let the AI know, like, look, today I'm feeling this way. You know, could you remind me to tell my doctors about this issue, right? And the same AI from your home is able to tell the AI at the doctor's office, like, hey, it's just give you a little notice here. Maybe you want to tell the doctor about this, right? But that's far, far down the road. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to get at is that how do we optimize and how do we do better? Yeah. And how we still maintain that human in the loop 
uh, to keep this innovation going, you know? <laughs> cool. So uh, I know we went through multiple topics and <laughs> I, I really do have to, you know, say thank you for joining me on a podcast on a weekday, especially like dinner time. Um, I have my dinner time clock clicking right now. So, you know, the kids are making buzz and noise. So um, any departing thought before, you know? No. Um, um, yeah, I really enjoyed um, talking to you both. Um, and it was really fun and happy to come back whenever. And I have some suggestions of people you may want to um, have on your show too. So I'll let I, you know. Any guest you can bring to the table, we do appreciate it. We, um, when, when the second episode comes up and you're here, we definitely want to hear all the updates of your new oh, baby yeah. startup, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's baby startup as in we're counting 48 hours that you incorporated, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure it's pretty mature at this point that we want to hear more about it and how things are going. Great. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. Okay. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye.